Yes. I think we realized when we <laughs> decided to do a whole bunch of women of color that there are so many folklores that aren't fleshed out about women around the world. Absolutely. Just stories that we've never heard before, but they were more so like, like they were hard to do a whole episode on because they're, you know, stories from different cultures and different areas, that, but they're just fables that like it's hard to really pinpoint like the history of them. So it's hard to do a whole episode on one person. So we're doing just a medley of princesses yeah, and we're <laughs> and fables and folk heroes. And we're going to go back and forth because like when we do people like the princess and the frog yeah. or like Cinderella, there's enough of a backstory that's been passed down through like European culture mm-hmm. that we've got enough to go on these. It's like, here's your one story. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like a lot of them are from oral traditions. So they've unfortunately been like, not lost, but like, you know, they're not as represented, you know, and they're very important where they are from. But, you know, we've definitely never heard of them. They're just the less popular fairy tales. (laughs) Right. So this week, instead of doing two stories, you're going to get seven short stories. Mm -hmm. Katie and I are going to go back and forth and back and forth. And we're going to have two cocktails just like normal, but you, we're just going to regale you with (laughs) the best information ever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know my ladies are, two of them are from Africa. One is from North America. And one is from the um, Somalian islands. Oh, great. So one of mine is from um, South Africa. One is from uh, Samoa. Okay. And uh, one is from Iran, which was a really interesting one because I just didn't even know that they had like. Yeah. That's super cool. I'm really excited to tell these stories. And you want to know what you're drinking? Oh, wait. This is her story. On the rocks. (laughs) With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women tonight. Yes. And non-fictional women from all times and places. Because women have nuance. We are not historians and we drink the whole time. The absolute whole time. And usually we tell two stories, but tonight we're telling a lot. So hopefully you can sit down in front of the fireplace and you're not driving and you're not busy and you can just take in the lives of these women absolutely so if this is your first time listening this episode is a little different so go back and listen to some of our other episodes if you want a more traditional episode no but we've got (laughs) and if this is your hundredth time listening to it and you hate this format and want us to never do it again let us know (laughs) or if you love it and want you know folk tale episode you know episode ever you know whatever do you know sentences <laughs> no apparently not tonight okay um but yeah if you want this us to do this more often just let us know that too <laughs> this is the really good cocktail okay what's the drink are you prepared yes okay it's two ounces of gin mm-hmm. and then an ounce of blackberry brandy Ooh. and then tonic water and a lime Ooh, i love it okay cheers cheers Mm. good right it's like a blackberry gin and tonic it's It's really sweet and i I like sweet in like the gin way Mm -hmm. where it's like you're drinking a sweet evergreen Mm -hmm. but i decided to call it folklore colon but not the taylor swift album (laughs) i don't want to get in trouble because she's like doing her own thing now (laughs) okay so are you ready for me to start i'm ready for the first story okay 
So I have not practiced any of these at all. <laughs> Me neither. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So my first woman was Sorceress, the Queen of Asna. Mm. And this is a Northern African folktale. And her name is Sarah O'Unia. And at the end of the 1800s, a lot of this story is based in real life. Okay. At the end of the 1800s, France is going all throughout North Africa. And they're like, rape, pillage, burn, blah. And it was so bad that even a lot of the soldiers started defecting and writing back home about these heinous crimes. Mm -hmm. They're like, we cannot keep doing this. Then we meet Sarah O'Unia. And that was a term used for female chiefs at the time. But today it's mostly used to describe this woman. Okay. She was considered the Panther Queen of Asna. I'm just going to start calling her the Panther Queen because okay. that's way easier. <laughs> she was well known during her lifetime for defending her tribe. She fought off other tribes that had trying to take over them over all these years she wanted peace with the french but they were not being reasonable and instead of just like going around or making a treaty with her they went like beeline right through her society so the panther queen contacts her old enemies and is like hey do you want to join up and fight the french together and they're like no <laughs> so the french show up and they just start to fight and they actually, for the first time ever, met some serious resistance and even had some casualties, which was rare for a European army against an African army. But all of a sudden, the fighting just stops and all of the Panther Queen's people are just gone. And the French are super confused. They're like, what the fuck? There's no people. There's not even animals in the agricultural pens. Just everything's gone. And the town is like a ghost town. Every night from then on, the Panther Queen and her people would appear from the tall grass and raid and then disappear quickly on the French people. And the morale of the French camps is dropping like super, super fast. And a lot of their soldiers are defecting and leaving in the middle of the night and having these terrible nightmares. So the French mission collapsed on itself and Word of the horrible, terrible, heinous French behavior is getting back to the French king and the governors of the regions in Africa, and they try to pull the mission back. So one leader of the mission is killed, and then the governor declares himself governor, and then the African chiefs are like, no, we don't think so, <laughs> and the rest of the men defect. And um, most people attribute the complete collapse of the French to the sorcery of the Panther Queen. Now, as far as we know, she was a real chief. Okay. But the Asna people passed down the tale of her orally, and it's hard to track. So many of the storytellers were killed in subsequent fighting with the French. So as the story goes, after Sarah O'Unia hauled herself up in the palace for a couple days after all this fighting, and then one day, without warning, the doors flew open and a black panther <gasps> bounded out, leapt over like the ramparts, and vanished never to be seen again what and that is the story <sighs> of the panther queen wow so that one you said is in the 1800s yeah this is from the 1800s what so like wild story i 
Like, because all of mine are very ancient. Yeah, my other ones are, too. This one was pretty recent, which is, like, we were going to do three and three, and then this name came up as well. And I was struggling with it because it seemed so real. Yeah. Right up until the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wow. It kind of reminded me of Queen Nanny, where mm, it's like, you're yes. such a good fighter that there is some, like, mythological or sorceress element to you. Absolutely. So Very interesting. Okay. Sarah Aunia, there you go. There From you go. Northern Africa, the French region, the French had most of like the Sahara desert. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Who is your first friend? Okay. So I am also doing kind of a military war story. So this is the legend of Nafanua. Um, this is a Samoan warrior goddess. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I, of course, like, I think we can just cite rejected princesses for like 90% of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a great website. And you can it's buy a, a great physical website. book too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also a podcast if anybody wants to hear more Samoan legends um, and just from the Pacific. It's called Legends from the Pacific. Um, and the host was really great. So anyways, our story starts in Savai'i. On the island of Samoa, where the east and west sides of the island have been fighting in a devastating war. The east side wants to expand its power, so they pushed into the west side of the island and enslaved the people there, completely taking over so they could have the most control and the most power. So not only was the freedom taken away from the from the west side, but they were also forced to perform their tasks in uncomfortable ways. So one of the ways they had to do this was they would have to climb up to coconut trees to get the coconuts, but they would have to do it upside down. Oh. Like go up feet first up this coconut tree. Hate it. Which was really painful and exhausting, and it was meant to also just like humiliate the people. So one of these people was, of course, the former chief of the west side, Tai'i'i. So while Tai'i was upside down on the coconut tree, he let out a sigh. But it wasn't just any sigh. This sigh went across the entire island of Samoa and into the underworld Pulotu, where Tai'i's brother lived, who just so happened to be the king of the underworld. <laughs> okay, we got some so, Hades action. Yes, yeah, so this is basically Hades. And so... His brother is the king of the underworld, but he is the chief of the west side, and he is currently enslaved. When so, you're a jet, you're a <laughs> exactly. jet all the way. So the king of the underworld, his name is Savi Asiulo Uleo, and he was a human from the waist up and an eel from the waist down. So he's a mermaid. Sounds pretty gross, um, to be honest. But, of course, when he heard the sigh and figured out what was going on, he wanted to defend his brother. So he sent his daughter, Nafanua, to set things right, to punish the east side, and to take down the patriarchy. So Nafanua was said to come from a blood clot. I don't know what that means exactly. But her father was obviously the king of the underworld, and her mother was a conjoined twin who actually is said to have brought tattooing to Samoa. Which is really interesting. Um, So the legend says that when they brought it, these conjoined twins, they forgot the rule that it was supposed to be for women. So they gave tattooing to the men instead. Which is a really interesting twist to the (laughs) tattoo narrative. It is a good twist. So with some badass parents who were 
unfortunately, siblings. Um, but we won't get into that. Um, again, it's like it reminds me a lot of Greek mythology, it though. Is. Like you have twins, underworld. <laughs> siblings marrying born of a headache exactly (laughs) um so nafanua felt that she was ready to make the journey to savai but her father told her to do one thing when she got there he instructed her to cut down the toa tree and make it into four weapons each which would have specific functions so one was for like everyday fighting one was for lending i guess like to give to someone else uh one was used um in victory so this one is kind of like an unforgivable curse like you only use it when you are about to win otherwise like you don't use it at all and one was an oar that was used to like drive the boat so like one to get there one to fight one to give to someone else and one to finish the job so these tools would ensure her victory and help the Samoan people keep peace so off she went in her boat to Samoa she arrives on the shore. She takes a little nap and then <laughs> <laughs> was greeted by a couple who took her in. And when she told them th- that she was there to like save them from slavery, they were like, but how <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're one person. What? She said, don't worry about that. Just fight with me here. I've got all these cool weapons and stuff. So she hands out all these weapons. And she explains them all and whatever. And so they go into battle, but she says, you guys need to know one thing. She's like, I'm very powerful, but I know how much I can handle. So I'm going to be on this side of the road and you guys are going to be on that side of the road. So you guys take care of the smaller group and I'll take care of the larger group, but don't send any of the people you're fighting across the road to me because then I'll get distracted and discombobulated and it's not good for anyone. So the fighting commences. (laughs) (laughs) Don't distract me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they get to fighting. She is absolutely kicking ass. And of course, the people don't follow her rules. Mm -hmm. Um, So they send some of the slave owners over to her because she would, they were like, these are the people that have like actively been abusing us and neglecting whatever. And so they were like, we want her to beat them up because she's so powerful. Mm. But then of course this just makes her turn on them. So she's like, yeah, I'll kill them, but also kill you too. You fucking assholes. I told you not to do this. When I say no, so, I mean no. Yeah. <laughs> so those two people get killed. Um, <laughs> so she's fighting and she eventually kind of gets them back to this like their side of the island and she's like all right and fucking stay there <laughs> but then a huge gust of wind comes up and blows her shirt up the soldiers had no idea that she was a woman and apparently they were so ashamed that they had been beaten so badly by a woman that they completely surrendered and said we promise we won't do it again <laughs> Girl, show off them titties. I cannot. Come on. (laughs) I cannot. So Nafanua was celebrated and officially made the most important guardian of Samoa. She also reconstructed the Fa'amatai, which is the chiefly system of government that continues in Samoa today. So she's like the founder of the government. Um, And since she is one of the most important goddesses of war, people still travel to her home and like her like home and Lupo to seek her blessing before beginning any military adventures and it's really cool because there's like a volcano named after her there are police boats named after her there's like 
like churches named after her. It's like, there's like a ton of stuff. And people also say that she like predicted the Christianity coming to their islands. So yeah. So that's the story of Nafanua. Wow. <laughs> I love it. That she's just like fighting. And then they're like, wait, that's a girl. What? You got tits. Um, <laughs> which is it. funny because it reminds me of the fact that um, we've, we talked to like, I think it was like an historian that was like, well, the reason that women in ancient times were often like portrayed with their breasts out was yeah. to be like, that's a woman. Uh-huh. Well, it was uh, Jamie. Yes, it was Jamie Goodall. Yes, the, the pirate pictures. Pirates. And yes. Then, um, Sojourner Truth took her shirt off on stage or opened yeah. her shirt on stage because people were like, no way you're no a way. woman. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you ready for my next yes. tale? So I'm doing the Corn Maiden of North America. She um, does not have a name. She's just the corn maiden. Okay. So she is a mythological figure among indigenous agricultural tribes in North America and is responsible for the origin of corn. And if you are not from North America, you don't understand how important this is. <laughs> corn is. And they're like, if you don't know what so corn good. is, <laughs> it's so good. It's my grandmother's favorite. <laughs> Listen, the Native Americans in our country get credit for two things, and it's popcorn and lacrosse. <laughs> so everything else, we're like, fuck you, yeah. get off our land. <laughs> okay. So she is part of a vast number of tribe mythologies, and it's different amongst all of them. Once upon a time, long, <laughs> long ago, most stories have a woman who settled down with the tribe in question. Whenever she was around, the corn supply would overflow. And she warns them, don't try to check on me while I'm getting the corn. But of course, <laughs> eventually, <laughs> people try to check on her. I'm going to say someone was fucking nosy <laughs> while she's trying to get the corn. And as it turns out, She's like rubbing the skin on her body and the corn comes off. What? She's she's a corn maker. Her body, body Wait, okay, hold on. I'm sorry. She rubs all over her body. Wait, she rubs what all over her body? Her hands. Her oh, her hands. And the corn comes off. Oh. I, I thought she was rubbing corn and more corn no, came no, off. No. So just her body giving herself a little massage her, her skin is like a little her, rub down her dead skin okay <laughs> she's, she's exfoliating she's shedding corn <laughs> yeah um and people are like that is the most disgusting thing. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want your body corn so there's kind of <laughs> two versions from there in some she's depicted as an old woman who would like frequently adopt children in this tribe who were hungry and after she's found out obviously people are disgusted because they've been eating body flakes and they accuse her of witchcraft and she's like that's cool you can kill me but here's how you should treat my corpse and like gives them instructions of like where to place her body and how to drag it across the ground and then everywhere her body touched corn grew after that and they always had corn but then the other way (laughs) And she's depicted as this young, beautiful woman who married a man whose tribe's suffering from hunger. She's discovered by her in-laws, and then she flees from her home um, to go back to her other, like, divine corn home palace. And <laughs> the corn palace. <laughs> it's like, you know, the Tooth Fairy's got the palace of teeth. That sounds great. Um, her husband follows her, and she gives him a seed of corn and detailed, very specific instructions on how to go home and plant it 
So there's lots of very Jack and the Beanstalk yeah, vibes. Here's the magic beans. <laughs> so there's lots of variations. Sometimes she's tied up and tossed in a river. Sometimes she's fine, hunt, like found hiding under the shadow of a duck's wing. There, there are some very like naturey things happening. Okay. Similar stories are told by lots of Native American tribes to describe the origins of buffalo and certain medical herbs, but it's really just all about where corn came from and how this woman is like the salt of the earth that like oh, brought the great. corn up. Okay. There's this one crazy version that got Europeanized over the years um, where this guy finds her, his name's Joe, and he goes <laughs> and asks JC, Jesus Christ himself, if he can marry her. And he's like, yes, but you can't look at her. So JC puts a cloud around her face, like a shadow. Okay. So that he can't see her ever. Um, but then he takes her home, and then their their family has a bunch of corn. And this guy cheats on her with a variety of animals, wow, a turtle, a God. raven, lots of things. She gets tired of him. A turtle? Yeah. Where would it even go? I, I don't know. In the shell, I guess. Oh my God. <laughs> I hope it's not a snapping turtle. <laughs> <laughs> she gets tired of him and runs off, and then this dick promises to... Jesus Christ, he'll be better. So God sends her back. And despite being told by God not to look at her, he waits till she's asleep and then lights a candle like so he can get rid of the shadow around her face. And um, of course, she's beautiful. <laughs> so she leaves again. And then um, he travels the world looking for her. But eventually um, she drags him in front of God and is like, this guy is terrible. And God turns him <laughs> into a vegetable man. Vegetable man. So that's the story of corn <laughs> I mean, that is so wild. Couldn't and be better, right? Honestly, I Couldn't one be of better. the reasons I love stories like that is because you see the progression of like <laughs> obviously English settlers learned of the corn maid and were like <gasps> I think we can make that different. <laughs> I'm not going to say better. Oh, that's what they thought, though. <laughs> they thought they were making it better by adding Jesus Christ into that story. <laughs> and what if she marries a guy named Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just, like, rubbing corn off her body and then being like, yeah, it's fine if you kill me. Just make sure that you water your crops. <laughs> She's like Bob Barker at the end of every story. Spay and neuter your pets. She's like, Water really your corn. <laughs> water your corn, guys. Um <laughs> that was perfect yeah so that's the corn maiden okay okay so do you want to do one more and then we'll get drinks and then because you have two more and i have one more Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna do my one i'm gonna do one more because you're only halfway done your drink Uh uh so i'm gonna do my one and then we'll come back and we'll have one of uh, one of yours one of mine one of yours okay okay perfect love it love it okay so this is the story of banu goshasp the Iranian folk hero or Shiro. (laughs) So Banu Goshasp is an interesting character of Iranian mythology because like many other characters in Iranian mythology, she appears in a lot of different stories. Someone wrote that it was like, like Iranian mythology is like the Avenger universe, the Marvel universe, like where like some people have their own films but the other people can appear in them. And then there's like certain stories where they all come in together, like infinity war or whatever. Unless you are Deadpool and black widow. 
sure. So I don't know anything about the, that universe, but I thought that was a really good way to describe it. <laughs> yeah. The, the whole um, thing is uh, Deadpool is Ryan Reynolds and Black Widow is Scarlett Johansson. And because they're divorced, they refuse to be in films together. So they're the Marvel signed in both their contracts that they never have to appear together. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Okay. <laughs> Didn't know that. You learn something new every day. I mean, mostly from this podcast. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I just want to put that at the beginning because, you know, it's just, it's really interesting. But what makes her the star or make, what makes her stand out is that she is the star of um, many stories, which other like female folk characters in Iranian folklore didn't get to be the star of their own shows. They were always side characters. Okay. So the most famous work she appears in is a 900 verse epic called the Banu Goshasp Nama. And one of the first stories of Banu is a classic rebellion teen story. So Banu and her brother Farmars are at home and they just want to go to the neighboring kingdom to hunt. Their father, Rostan, tells them absolutely not. And of course, they go anyways. So Rostan discovers that they have blatantly disobeyed him. So he disguises himself as a slave trader and attacks his own children in the forest, threatening to sell them into slavery. Mm. Banu says, not today, and she wrestles this strange man and begins stabbing him with a sword, and she is just about to deliver, deliver, like, the literal final death blow, and she realizes that it's her father. (laughs) Thankfully, he was okay, because he's he's also kind of like a god, whatever, like, someone was like, it'd be like trying to kill, like, Captain America, whatever. Um, He learned a very valuable lesson though not to fuck with his daughter (laughs) and to let her go hunting wherever she damn well pleases because she can obviously take care of herself so now that she's allowed to go by herself she comes across another man not her father thankfully he's a prince from a neighboring kingdom and he falls deeply in love with her um but that's all we know (laughs) he falls in love with her And then leaves. We're not really sure where. I like to imagine that she rejected him. And so she rejects him. And then a bandit comes across her. And he's like, oh, shit. You're Banu Goshasp. You're the beautiful woman that denied the prince. Like, the prince wanted to marry you. So you must be, like, really valuable. So he tries to kidnap her. So she cuts him in half. Oh, and that's right in the half. end of that story. <laughs> that's the end? <laughs> Just, he wanted to kidnap her, so she cut him in half. She said, circus trick. I'm going to put you in a box. Exactly. But then she half. actually did it. <laughs> so, again, we're not really sure what happened to that prince guy. But then she gets three more proposals from three different kings in India. She's not quite ready to settle down, though. So she challenges all three to a jousting tournament. The rules were clear. The first king, to knock her off of her horse, gets to marry her. The first guy, she just injured, gave him a little bit of a flesh wound. The second one, she straight up murdered. And the third one ran away because he was like, this bitch is fucking crazy. (laughs) And then it just left her as a uh, thriving single woman. (laughs) 
<laughs> Some other notable adventures include that time she rescued a fairy king from the Jin King, who himself had transformed into a fierce lion. <laughs> so she rescued the fairy king by ca- killing this lion king. Perfect. She and her brother also went on lots of adventures in India, killing demons. I guess you could say that they were the original supernatural brothers. Um, <laughs> Which that siblings. show recently is like done. It's done? Yeah, they, they're done now. Wow. I thought it would never end. It's been like 35 years. <laughs> it's been on as long as The I Simpsons. Mean, Dean was a baby when that show started. Yeah. Like Fresh off of Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Wow. But then his brother's name was Dean in the show. I hate that. They should have changed it, they honestly. I, I mean. <sighs> what can you do? I'll contact the network. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another great thing she did was she embroidered a picture of herself and then sent it all over the world so everyone would know that she was the most beautiful woman in the world, which I love. It's a for original selfie. The well, first selfie. She had the first selfie, and I love that she was like, I want you to know that I'm the most beautiful person in the world. And also, fuck you if you try to fucking marry me. Because I'm going to be single. I'm going to kill you and (laughs) chop you in half. I will kill you. (laughs) So those are like the little tales. And then, uh, oh, wait, no, there's one more. (laughs) And then one particularly brutal war. She defeated, quote, an endless stream of warriors, humiliating them in the process. After one guy insulted her for being a woman, she informed him that she was going to shave off his beard, kill him, chop him up, and feed him to the dogs. And then she did. But after all this adventure, her father, Rostam, was like, okay, but you have to marry someone. So come home and I'll bring some suitors around. He, like the good dad he is, (laughs) finds... 400 of the drunkest Iranians he can find and he brings them home to woo his daughter. She's like, dad, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with you? And he's like, okay, that's only out of the plan. There's part two. I mean, she didn't like the princes. I know. So maybe so the drunk guy. Maybe the drunk guy. I mean, he doesn't know. He's just trying. <laughs> so he goes, no, no, no. Part two of the plan. We'll put them all on a really big rug. Okay, mm-hmm. four hundred guys put on, on a rug. rug. Put them on a rug. Lay we'll them down. shake it super hard, <laughs> and the okay. last one standing on the shaky rug will be your husband. Love it. Do and it. it was a young, strapping warrior named Give, and Banu re- reluctantly married him, but she wanted to let him know pretty immediately who wore the pants in that relationship. So on their wedding night, she beat him up and tied him up and stuck him in the closet. Perfect. He did eventually get free. And then he went to her father and told Rostan what happened. He tattletailed? He tattletailed on his wife. Um, Banu did get a talking to. And she was like, I swear I won't do it again. Um, she was like, I just needed to let him know. And apparently after this, the two had a pretty good marriage. <laughs> and the thing that makes this even better is that, like, 
Give is one of the most famous heroes of Iranian mythology, and yet he still was just like no match for Banu Khoshas. <laughs> that's great. So that's the story. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. I love that so much. It was um, great. I just like, I find her so fantastic. <laughs> what a great show of power, I think, to oh just be like, gosh. sorry, it's our wedding night, and I'm going to tie you up and put you in the exactly. closet and then sleep peacefully. Because it's like, I know exactly what you're thinking. That's that's not gonna fucking happen well there's there are two <laughs> ways to play that scenario and she chose one yes she did <laughs> she, she picked one for sure <laughs> all right well do you want to take just a little break so we can get two more drinks little then come break, back two more drinks and then we're gonna do this all again <laughs> This is Stephanie and Tux <laughs> from the podcast Beyond Reproach, a show about political scandals from American history, but it's fun, we swear. The idea behind our show is that politicians and government officials are meant to be public servants and their behavior should be beyond reproach, but if history has taught us anything, it's that a lot of politicians are total scumbags. So we decided to do a show where we drink period-appropriate historic cocktails while exploring some of the government scandals and shitty politicians of America's past. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. America's history is juicy. We just add gin. Here we are. Okay. I hope you're enjoying this magical, magical episode. We're back for part two, and we have just three more stories left for you, but... But one whole new cocktail. But one whole new cocktail. Okay. It's a different color than mine. It is. Different I vibe. I really like it. The foam on top is beautiful. <laughs> so this is called I Need a Shiro. <laughs> it is equal parts gin and pineapple juice, and then you shake that all together, you pour it into a glass, and you top it off with... Honey cider. I can't believe honey apple cider. I know. Chose gin. (laughs) Cheers. So good. Mm. Wow. Listen, (laughs) I really think we've made like we've made a big turn Mm -hmm. in the corner of our lives with cocktails. We're Mm. we're getting good. I like this a lot. I like it too. It's also like I mean, there's two full ounces of gin in here. Yeah, it's going to be a rough night. And you would not know it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Tell me your next story. So I am going to do a story from the Solomon Islands about a girl named Rhina. Rhina. Once upon a time (laughs) in the Solomon Islands, there were two women who had a pretty shitty day. What had happened was <laughs> they got kidnapped by two ghost monster things. Now, when we say ghost, we think like right. in a sheet. Like but, Casper. Right. But it's like a monster ghost. Mm. Um, scary. And they like swooped down from the sky and took these women back to this faraway land. 
And when the women were like, oh, please don't eat us, the ghosts were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, the ghosts were kind of nice to them. They, like, brought them food, but then the food was actually human sushi. What? <laughs> and they were like, oh, my God, don't do that. And then they were like, but we'll teach you how to fly, but just cut your feet off and drain your blood. That's the only way to learn how to Wait, fly. Wait, I'm sorry. This is from the Solomon Islands? Yeah. And then human sushi? <laughs> Solomon Islands didn't have human sushi. The monsters, okay, the monsters had <laughs> human sushi <laughs> that they were feeding to these women, and then they were like, the monsters were like, "We'll teach you how to fly, but you have to cut your feet off and drain all your blood." <laughs> no, and they were like, "That doesn't sound right." <laughs> so the women complained about having to eat humans, and the ghosts, monster people, were like, "Okay, but like." I guess we'll find you some fish to cook. <laughs> and instead, they brought back the dead corpse of one of the two girls' family members. And we're like, look at this. And they were like, cry, cry, cry. Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. They were not having a good time. <sighs> Many people tried to save them. Their husbands were offering massive rewards for the recovery of these women. And they said, there is no man that can save us from these monsters. And it was like the scene at the end of the third Lord of the Rings where she's like, take the mask off. I am no man. <laughs> Stabs him right in the chest. Perfect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was, it was that moment, mm -hmm. but a million years it was ago. It's just like no one, <laughs> Nefanua just blowing up, blowing up here's the my, tits. Here's my tits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, the story of the kidnapped women reaches far and wide to all these islands. And a woman there is like, hmm, there's somebody who's kidnapped. Let me go talk to their husbands about what the reward is because I think I'm willing to go and do this. And she goes to their husbands. This is Rhina. And they just laugh at her they just laugh at her wow and she <laughs> stomped her feet around and was like these are ghosts and they're male ghost monsters at that i can get your wives back and i'm gonna break their jaws on the way <laughs> so she takes her warrior women which this is very similar to your thing where rhina has a band of warrior women mm -hmm. that she like takes around to do chores and like, which is mostly killing people. So, um, in fact, some of the ones were called Rhina and the Amazon women, but it's because I think we like equate a group of Amazon women with like Xena yeah. and like Wonder Woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they load up a canoe and they're going to go save them. They got close to the Island and started hearing like the telltale signs of monster ghosts. <laughs> and, Rhina's like, all right, guys, I want everybody to duck and get out of the way so they only see me. So the monster ghost is like flying in, carrying this big redstone axe. Um, but the ghost monster is like, she's alone in a canoe. It's right. just like one girl. Totally fine. Not going to be a big deal. So he dives right at her. But Rhina grabs him by his long ass hair and just like slams him down in the canoe and jabs her knee into his back. And then she's screaming at him, where'd your power come from? <laughs> like that. And he tells her like, it's from my axe because it was really disrespectful for women in the culture to step over magical items because it took the magic away. 
Okay. So she very impolitely steps directly over all the shit he just said gave him magic. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. Um, and then they, like, the everybody in the canoe are just like, let's kill this guy. So they do. And it's great. And then they land the canoe and she and all her women go into this cave and the cave walls are covered in skulls. And it's like, oh, my God, this is all the people who tried to save these women before. This is disgusting. The second monster tries to attack them from the back like a coward. Mm. Um, but she proved to be too quick for him and pulls out her best weapon, her boomerang, mm. and hits him so hard in the face with a stick that he dies. <gasps> like David and Goliath. Oh, my god! Hits him and dies. Um, so she saved the women and then paddled home and uh, got her reward. And um, then her and her Amazon women went down in history as saviors of the people. I love that. That's Rhina. <laughs> you said that was from um, this, um, what, the, uh, the Solomon, Solomon Islands. Islands. Solomon okay. Islands. Perfect. Um, I feel like that, I mean, we're going to get to this in the end, but like it really did remind me of the um, Nafanua story where it's like the tools. Like I feel like yeah. the tools are very sacred that they use. So like I'm guessing that, that they have to have like an origin story. And it's yeah. cool that a lot of the weapons have origin oh, yeah. stories associated with women. And my next one, when we get to it, is from Egypt, and it's very similar to the Iraqi, Iranian one Perfect. that you did. And it's just be the because it's so close. Yeah. Okay. Also, I want to tell you about a little disagreement that me and producer had. <laughs> said, he said something, something about Israel being close to Iran, and I was like, it's close, but close like Maryland is to California. Right. And he was like, no, it isn't. He was like, it's much closer. And I was like, I don't know. What's Maryland? Like 3,000 miles from California? Something like that. Okay. So we Google it. Israel's 2,000 miles from Iran. And I was like, I'm Pretty absolutely close. right. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, 1,000 miles off. <laughs> <laughs> Which we were both right. <laughs> you were both kind of right. I was 1,000 miles off. <laughs> next person and where are they from i can't wait okay so i my last story is the story of thakane um so some pronounce it thakane um so i don't know which is correct but myths and legends pronounced it thakane so that's okay. what i'm gonna use so this is the south africa legend of the basoto tribe so our legend starts out the way all good ones do with dead parents <laughs> So Thakane is a young princess, and when we meet her, her world is flipped upside down because her parents and, of course, the chief of her tribe and village have both passed away. So the tribe just presses on as expected. They, you know, elect a new chief, you know, but and that's it. They move on. But then this leaves Thakane and her two brothers alone and kind of on the outs. The cane tries to take care of everything. And I mean everything because her brothers are extremely lazy. That's number one thing you need to know. <laughs> so she is now their mother, their father, and their sister. She cooks, she cleans, she gathers food and water. And even if they decide to raise the tiniest finger and like help out a little bit by killing something, they would just throw it on the floor for Thakane to deal with. And she would 
clean it and skin it and prepare it and cook it, everything. So this is pretty irritating for her, as you can imagine. But eventually it was time for them to grow up. Like, literally, they reached the age in their culture where they would officially become men. But since they didn't have a father to, you know, do this process with them, it was up to Thakane. So she takes them up to the mountain and they begin their warrior training. I like to think of it as like boarding school for warriors. (laughs) So it is a five month long program. So they finish it up. They finish their exams or, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever warrior school entails. Um, exactly. (laughs) So they finish it all up and then it's time for graduation. Thakane had prepared everything the way a proud parent would have. The boys needed shields and weapons and, most importantly, a cloak made of an animal hide. And she had just painstakingly made all of this by hand. The shields, the cloaks, the weapons, everything. And she has been looking forward to this day for a really long time. And she's really proud of the work she did. She was like, I feel like... I'm becoming an independent woman because then after today, I won't have to take care of these fucking baby child men. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But when she presented the cloaks and the shields to them, they whined and complained, saying, I don't like that cloak. We're the sons of a chief. We can't just have any regular old stuff. We need to be special. And it's like, and then they go, this is the kicker. They go, it's really embarrassing to have something made by a woman. The women were the ones that made the clothes. Yeah. But they were upset because they're like, this isn't, I mean, oh, come on. If it was their mother, they would have been fine. It's I just know. that it's their sister. I know. Rude. She's so frustrated and she's like, okay, your highness, what would be good enough for you then? And of course they pick the most impossible thing. Joseph's coat of many colors. The skin of an anabolete, or as we would call it, a dragon. Oh, I was going to say a unicorn, but a dragon. That's even crazier. A dragon. It's like an alligator skin hide. You know what's funny is in the story they're described as like crocodiles with shining skin and wings, (laughs) which is a dragon. Yeah. Um, She's like, where would I even get a dragon hide? And they say, "Uh, the back of a dragon, dummy. Khaleesi. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) And then they really throw a gut punch. And they tell her that, well, our father would have gotten us a dragon hide. And they basically kind of shame her into being like, you're not the father figure you think they are, you think you are, even though she's been literally doing raising everything them. she possibly can. And it's like Rude. also like sons of a chief. It's like maybe, but there's a different chief and a different family. She's like, that life is over. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like they're just still living as princes while literally living in squalor. It's ridiculous. And then she thought Why is about it. That it? women have to deal with that. <sighs> That's like the whole theme of this fucking story. <laughs> and she thought about it and she said, honestly, yeah, if anyone could have brought back a dragon hide, it would have been my dad. She loved her father so much and she missed him. And she decided that if that's what her father would have done, she should do it too. So she takes the cloak and the shield and the weapons that she made for her brothers 
and she gets ready to battle a dragon. Now, she is a really cool, self-sufficient woman, but she has zero warrior training. She didn't go to the five-month-long warrior boarding school. Because girls can do that. Yeah, that was for boys. But then she just thought, "Mm, I'm sure I'll figure it out. (laughs) So word gets around the village that she is going to fucking kill a dragon. And half the village is like, that's fucking outrageous. Like, you know, good luck dying. And then other people basically stage an intervention for her and they're like you can't do this like you will die and you should definitely not die for your brothers because those guys are fucking idiots like the whole town knows that that kane is doing everything she can and they're like don't do this for them and she says i know i know it's dumb but i'm not just doing this for my brothers or my dad she's like i'm doing this for myself right which i love so 12 men stood up and they told her, well, you know what? If you're doing this, we're coming with you. They're like, we're not going to let you do this alone. So off they all went to find a dragon somewhere. Because the other thing to know is that no one really knew where exactly the dragons <laughs> lived. <laughs> somewhere out there in the wild. So it's in the water somewhere. And Gotta find a dragon. They're water creatures, apparently. And reptiles, right? Are they reptiles or amphibians? Do we know? What's, what's a crocodile? Is he an amphibian? A reptile. He's a reptile? But then they get to the water. They're like, okay, but how do we get it out? <laughs> so they decided, they're like, okay, I'm sure dragons love meat. So they kill an ox And they go travel to the first body of water on their list and they cut the ox up in like little pieces and they like literally like jaws, like buckets of chum. They just throw (laughs) chunks of the ox into the water to try and lure it out. Right. But the ox alone wasn't quite doing it. So the cane started singing, but she wasn't just singing regularly. She was throwing down a diss track. She starts singing. <laughs> she's si- she's I siren mean, singing. So many insults into the water in order to taught them to come out. She's like, Your dragon penis is small. You are nothing at all. Because your dragon penis is small. <laughs> And they're like, like, and Clara's parents live at home with both parents. Yeah. <laughs> Clara's parents have a real good marriage. That's exactly. Like, yeah, she was so smiling. She is absolutely <laughs> throwing the mom spaghetti all over these fucking <laughs> dragons. One person <laughs> who gets that eight mile reference. One person. R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. <laughs> um, and lo and behold, something emerges from the water. A frog. <laughs> It's a little underwhelming. <laughs> the frog tells them, hey, I'm so sorry. Can you but get my golden ball? There be no dragons here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, hey, I'm really sorry. But if you want to find dragons, go to where the husk of the poison plant dips into the water. I hate a riddle. Fakane thanks the frog for his time. And the group is on their way. And she's like, 
literally turn to them like, okay, who knows what that means? And all of them are like, we don't know. Where's the husk? Nobody knows where the poison husk dips Nobody into the water. Nobody knows what trouble I've seen. Oh, what a poison husk goes. <laughs> um, so they just keep going to the next body of water. They do the same thing. Ox. Insults. But this time, a tortoise comes out of the water. Tortoise? I know. Um, there's like a... Wait, <laughs> what's a tortoise doing in the water? Who knows? But there's one story that I love where I imagine water. he has like a little bow tie. Oh, yeah. And he like scams them for a bunch of money. <laughs> he's, the, he's the Warner Brothers frog. Yeah! W-W-W-W-W-B. I love my baby. I love my darling. Yeah. And he's like, give me all your money. Um, <laughs> so he apparently scams them out a bunch of money, but he... <laughs> tells them the same thing he's like i don't know where the dragons are but go where the husk of the poison plant dips into the water yo that's what everybody's been saying for centuries come on so off they go again and they just keep experiencing the same thing over and over again with like random ass non-dragon creatures (laughs) coming out of the water and telling them to go find this poison water place so they finally get to, like, the mouth of the river, this, like, seemingly the end of the journey. And they throw the last bits of ox into the river, and they wait. And they are tired. They're expecting at this point, like, a salamander or something to disappoint them again. But lo and behold, something else entirely comes out. It's a head. It's a human head with gray hair and wrinkled skin an old woman rises up out of the water. I was going to say Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas comes <laughs> out of the water. And they're kind of freaking out because they're like, that's really fucking scary. But like, also, she's an old lady. How harmful can she be? Not a dragon. And she's really fucking old. And Thakane asks her, she goes, ma'am, like, do you know where the dragons are? And she goes, oh, yeah. I know where the dragons are. They're in my village because they destroyed it. The last time I saw them, they killed everyone I knew and destroyed my entire home. She goes, I'm the only survivor because it turns out that I've worked so hard in my life that my skin has gotten too tough for even dragon's teeth. Damn. Yeah. You better work, bitch. <laughs> work, so work, 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 work. you cannot have dragons come at you. Okay, no more dragons. No more dragons. But she tells them, she goes, but there are still dragons. They're still living in my village. And now they've kind of, like, made me to be, like, their slave. And I have to bring them food and take care of them. And I'm so sick of it. I just want them gone. So, like, if you want to come and kill them, like, be my fucking guest. So the old woman put her service to the test. Exactly. She leads the cane and the group down into her village, which is underwater. (laughs) Not much info on the logistics of this, unfortunately. It's Atlantis. But she takes them into the lake and they go underwater. And the old woman is like, okay, we're going to go in, but I'm going to hide you in this bunker. And they watch the three dragons who are described as a giant flying crocodiles with wings and glowing skin. So they stay and they watch until the dragons fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And the old woman warns them, 
that it's just too dangerous. They should leave. They need to get out of there. And Thakane is like, you're right. So she starts to turn back. And then she looks at the sleeping dragons. And she thinks, this might be my only chance. (laughs) So the thing about crocodiles is that even though they have the strongest bite in the world, their muscles that open their mouths are actually very weak. All their muscles are involved in clothing. Yeah, yeah. That's why duct tape can fix it. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Mm-hmm. This is why you can keep them closed with duct tape or even like a rubber band. So knowing this, Thakane crept up to one of the three sleeping dragons. She just snapped its mouth shut with her hand and she plunged the knife deep into his neck. Now, the crocodragon is wide awake and thrashing, 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 trying to get this little girl off of his back. But Thakane just put the knife in deeper and kept sawing until the dragon was dead. So she's standing there in front of a giant, dead, flying crocodile dragon, and she realizes that she's also bleeding. The dragon got her good, but she would be okay. She and the soldiers stood there looking at the other two dragons and thought, I really don't want to do that again. <laughs> so they skinned that dragon they killed because that's what they came for. But, and then, then they left, but the cane was nervous. They had killed one dragon and left two, which meant that the other two dragons, back. they would come back to get revenge. So they start leaving and the old woman tells them, I have something that might be able to help. And she gives Thakane a tiny orange pebble. And she tells her, if you're in trouble, just slam this pebble on the ground as hard as you can. She wanted to ask more questions. She's like, what does it do? What does that mean? But she heard a rumbling. The dragons were awake. So they just, just start killed their boy. literally running home. But the dragons are following them. And instead of like just immediately attacking, the dragons are just taunting them, kind of making sure they get tired before they attack. So they're following them for hours, hours, hours. But then one dragon was like, you know what? I'm too hungry. And he dives head first for Thakane and her army. She's like, just only again, like a people. The old woman shouts, the pebble, now! <laughs> the cane takes the pebble, slams it on the ground. Of course. Stone walls shoot up around her and her men and the old woman. And suddenly they're in a room in a stone tower on top of a mountain that keeps getting taller and taller and taller. It grows so tall that dragons couldn't fly fly over it or climb up it tower of babel am i right Mm -hmm. one of the dragons is killed by the mountain in its sheer force and the other one when he sees that there's nothing he can do he gives up and he goes back to the underwater village to rest Thakane shrunk the mountain back down she brings them all back down to earth and the group started really running back to the village to just get as far away from that last dragon as possible because there's one left they got about a quarter of a mile away from the village, and the villagers come out cheering for the cane as she ran towards them with a glowing hide on her back. 
But soon the cheers became screams as the villagers saw the last dragon coming behind them. Thakane pulls out the pebble. She's ready to just slam it down on the ground. And the old woman grabs her arm and she goes, no, you're literally making a mountain. We're too close to the village. If you make a mountain right now, it will crush your people. And then what was the point of this? So Thakane stopped. She turned to face the dragon. She took a spear off of her back. She looked the dragon in the eye as it sailed towards her. And right before she threw the spear, the dragon spiraled down. It crashed into the earth. It started choking in the dust. And as the air cleared, she saw a spear lodged into its throat. And when she turned around, she saw the entire village behind her. They had thrown every spear and arrow they had to help the cane. The dragon was terribly injured, but not quite dead yet. And then it heard the dogs of the village coming for him. And he tucked his little tail and he flew off. The cane was a hero. And everyone recognized that even a great chief such as her father could probably not have done what she had done and they bowed before her Ooh, but she didn't have time for all this she had some sewing to do so she went home took the dragon hide made the cloaks and shield for her brothers and the next morning she walked to their huts silently placed the items in front of them and then walked off knowing that she was free of them and better than them double middle finger on the way out basically (laughs) And that's the legend of Thakane, the dragon slayer. An escape from womanhood is what I'm going to call that one. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Because she was literally the bravest person of all time in their village. And it was literally just so she could not be taking care of some ungrateful fucking men. And I love it. It's a common thread. (laughs) It's a common thread here. Oh my gosh, are we ready? All right, we have one last story. One last story okay. about Julaida from Egypt. Okay. This is an Egyptian king, and he loved his daughter, and he loved her above everything. So when his wife died, he was so upset that he could only consider a woman of the same exact size for his wife's anklet. Wait. <laughs> his wife dies. Okay, I'm sorry. His Need, wife dies. Needs to have a wife with the same anklet size. Oh, okay. The same ankle size. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, my mind went to like a Thumbelina that he could like wrap around an ankle. Oh, okay. no, no, no. I'm he needs an really... anklet. This anklet is going to go around an ankle. Okay. I feel like ankles are pretty, I mean. Slim. They're pretty standard. It's pretty, pretty standard. standard. The King's Footman Travel the World is very Cinderella. The king's footmen travel the world, and the only woman in his kingdom with the same anklet size happens to be his beloved daughter. Having no issue with incest, he uh, sets up the wedding immediately and tells his daughter nothing about this impending wedding. Oh, no. She finds out by bribing some servants, like, who is this mysterious bride that my dad is going to marry? (laughs) She doesn't know. Doesn't okay. know. 
So she takes a big old stick and vaults herself over the castle wall and lands. Oh, it's like an Olympian. Uh-huh. <gasps> She's cool as fuck. Lands in a uh, leather tanner's yard and just shoves a fistful of money at him. And she's like, whatever you can do, I don't give a shit. You have one night to make a leather disguise for me. And he spends the next 12 to 24 hours just like patchworking any random leather he has together and he makes this disguise and the disguise sucks it is like it is like the outfit of the poorest person in the universe in egypt and she's got it and she looks gangly and terrible but she puts it on and heads to the city gates and she's stopped a bit by castle guards as they look at her. But every time she says, my name is Julia, Julia, my coat of skins, my eyes are weak. My sight is dim. My ears are deaf. I cannot hear. I care for no one far or near every time. And it works. So like, oh, this woman has is living with a disability. Like, let's just let her through. So they just let her through. Dude, it so reminds me of the Aria, like, mm-hmm. I'm a person that has no name. Right. I'm a no-name. Exactly. I'm a no-namer. I'm wearing... <laughs> and, like, the, the images of her that are drawn are, like, her in this, like, insane leatherwork burqa that, mm. like, just take... It's, like, a patchwork burqa where you can only see her eyes. Okay. And it's just, like, made fully of leather. Oh, fun. Which is okay. very... Crazy. She looks she looks fly. <laughs> um but she gets away in this disguise and escapes to a neighboring city. But her presence in this city, people are like, Wow, that's a wild outfit. It's like when Lady Gaga wore that meat dress. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, Okay, okay, okay. So the <gasps> the queen Sorry. of this neighboring town is like, I see this crazy person in this patchwork leather and I want her to work for me. I at least want her to talk to me. So she goes to the queen and says her four lines. I can't hear. I can't see. My leather is cool. <laughs> and they're like, okay, okay, come work for the palace. Like, and she's like, anything you'll give me, I'll try. That's what she says to the queen, even though like she can't. Apparently she's deaf, but she's answering the queen's questions. So I don't know. (laughs) The details are fuzzy. They're fuzzy, fuzzy. After she had worked in the palace for a while, the queen has this party and Jaleda is like, no, I'm blind and deaf. Like, I can't go to the party. But then everybody leaves and goes to the party. (laughs) And after everybody leaves and goes to the party, she changes out of her outfit and shows up in like, Ball gown, ball gown, ball gown. And everybody's like, damn, who the fuck is that? She's the hot party girl that nobody's ever seen before. Near the end of the night, she throws some money on the floor and everybody scampers to get the money so she can, like, disappear. It's like a stink bomb, you know? Oh, yeah. This reminds me of that scene in Spirited Away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking uh, Ninja Turtles, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the queen regrets not being like, oh, my God, I wanted that sexy-ass woman to marry my son. Uh, where the hell did she go? So the queen throws another party <gasps> the next night. And she goes again. And this time, to get out of the party, she throws some pearls on the ground. She's like, these bitches need pearls. And everybody's, like, scattering after the pearls. But 
this time in the shuffle, the prince grabs her <gasps> arm and his ring comes off in her hand as she's like sliding away. And he yells like, Ellie, tell me where you came from. And she's like, I live in the land of paddles and ladles. And then vanishes. Paddles and ladles. Exactly. So Soupville? She works in the kitchen. So like okay. she says, I mean, she does work oh, in the kitchen. Yeah, that's true. So the next day he's like, I'm going to find this girl. All right. Let's go to the kitchen and get them to make us some food so that the, we can go find this girl. He sets off after the kitchen, makes him a bite to eat. Uh, and they made a big cake. And he's on his way out of town, ready to find the love of his life. Takes a bite of the cake and is like, whoa, what is in here? <laughs> it's his ring. Surprise. <laughs> she put it in the cake oh so he would realize gosh. who she was. So he turns his whole gallivant around and goes back to the kitchen and is like, you and she's like no not me and he's like no you and gets her close enough and then like cuts off her leather burka and <laughs> is like oh my god i knew it was you in the sexy party dress like the last yeah, two nights yeah, and she's like remember. oh my god so then they get married super quick okay <laughs> super quick and they're happy about it but then her father's court is like looking for her still. So they're oh, like, because she is the ankle. She's the ankle. She's got <laughs> the sexy ankle <laughs> that her dad. She got that sexy daughter ankle and that her he was incestually <laughs> married. It's very I creepy. forgot about that part of the story. Um, so I hate that. yeah, okay. they all have this dinner together. It's super uncomfortable. But she tells her new husband, her cake husband, <laughs> sexy ankle dad, cake husband, the husband is like, hey, can I dress up like a boy for this meeting? And like, come. <laughs> I really feel like it would be fun. And he's like, sure, sure, sure. Dress up like a boy. I don't care. I like you. You have sexy cake skills. So dresses up like a boy comes to this meeting with her dad and the matchmaker who had matched the ankle. Okay. And it just starts making the conversation so uncomfortable <laughs> on purpose about incest. She just keeps talking about incest and how terrible it is as she's dressed like a man and just like <sighs> totally shaming everybody there. <sighs> she's lost her. <laughs> she's doing something I could never do in public. Mm -hmm. Um, and the matchmaker keeps trying to do the opposite and like make the conversation good. And then in the middle of dinner, she just like rips off her man disguise and is like, I'm your daughter and you ruined my fucking life. <laughs> and um, in the morning, the father and his daughter and his daughter's new husband throw the matchmaker off a cliff. Wow. And the okay. king gives his daughter the future that she wanted and they all live happily ever after. Wow. And that's the story of Julia. What a story. <laughs> Isn't on. that fun? That's wild. <laughs> These women. Okay. I can't believe it. I okay so we're really excited because normally we just talk about two women it's just a little different because we're talking about seven okay so ready <laughs> just the seven of us <laughs> okay all of them it was like a very big sticking point that they were a woman absolutely that was the whole point of the story they were a woman and they had to get married or you're not good enough to be a warrior or this that or the other and it was like 
okay, but I can. Right, exactly. And I just feel like that's how you know that sexism has existed forever. For so long. Because thousands of years old. It wouldn't have been a big deal if they weren't, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's interesting how it kind of plays differently, you know? Like you have um, Sarah O'Neill, who's kind of blending the real and the fictional, which I also think is a big part of the rest of the stories is like, these are real things that women and people are experiencing, but through the lens of a fictional person to kind of try and make sense of it, which, you know, we've known of fictional stories for a long time, but like, I imagine like the corn maiden is someone who is like, you're experiencing food shortages and she's here to like, be like, Oh, like, here's corn here's this great I can, thing i can like, agriculturally teach you how to do this and people yeah. are like but she's a girl right yeah and just kind of this connection of no like women are here to make things better and to help you so fucking trust them right because they're not your enemy they're here to help you and a lot of the stories were about fighting and how yeah. men were i think i think multiple times we use the word humiliated They were humiliated when a woman, like, was able to defeat them in battle. And that is, like, they wouldn't be humiliated if a man beat them in battle. Like, no, absolutely It's so weird. I just don't like it. No. And there was a lot of, like, men, like, laughing at them, too. Like, you had, like, I think one of the most interesting comparisons was Rhina and Thakane, where, like, you had two women who were like, I'm going to do something about the situation that we're in. And then they were laughed at. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't get rid of these ghosts. Like, you can't get a dragon hide. And they were just lone women being the heroes because no one else would step up. Because, again, for centuries also, women have been underestimated and men have been throwing in the towel. And being like, "Mm, that's too hard. I agree. And then it was like, (laughs) we don't trust them to do the female jobs like cook and make clothes but we also don't trust them to do the male jobs like fight and lead so it's like what exactly are you trusting people to do then yeah but i one thing that i love is that all of these stories speak of the goals and power of the women of their cultures absolutely and that's what's so cool about fairy tales that didn't make it into pop culture because fairy tales that made it into pop culture are always about getting married Mm -hmm. always about living happily ever after never about being a hero and these are about literally being a single woman who is a hero who lived her life and it's like it's not like it's a bad thing to get married and have kids and be a princess like yeah do your fucking thing kate middleton Good job. Yeah. Good, good on <laughs> you. Good on you. We like it. But it's like also there are other avenues that are like possibilities for people. And I think we need more cartoons about that shit. I absolutely think that because I didn't even notice it until you realized it that like, yeah, like marriage is not a big part of these stories. They just kind of exist as like women who defy these social standards. And I wonder if like women started these stories to kind of be like, we don't need that because I do feel that fictional stories come from like what someone who doesn't have a voice sometimes is trying to say, Mm. you know, like I feel like the story of Juleda, 
the Egyptian story, the last one you told, like obviously reminds us so much of like this Cinderella tale. Oh yeah. And I feel like if there's one thing we can learn from Cinderella, it's kind of like this idea of like treat people who don't have as much as you as real human beings. And that's been a problem for centuries of like people who don't make as much money or has high social standards and be like, they're still existing and they're still good people, you know? And there is a marriage component to that, but I feel like it's really interesting that there is such a warrior woman element. Like I actually, so the story of the cane, one version ends in marriage. Mm. And I decided not to tell that one because it seemed added to make people more comfortable. And I also think, and that's what happened with the corn maiden, mm-hmm. the story at the end that was added yeah. to be more comfortable. I, I find it interesting that in the Juleta story, she is like beautiful, but running away and disguising herself. I don't know. It's yeah. very, you're right. It's very Cinderella. But I think when we did the Cinderella episode, we said that it came from that Egyptian sandal yeah. story. Mm-hmm. So it is an Egyptian story at its heart to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is kind of interesting. I liked that a lot of them had military. I liked that a lot of them had like a woman who was willing to fight for the people in her village or in yeah. her family. Because what I see is things that are true. Mm-hmm. When we say folklore, it's like there was a woman who did something like this. And yeah. then like I could see Harriet Tubman ending up as a folklore one day. Yeah, I can see... You know, these these in, qu- people like Queen Nanny ending up as a folklore because they did such incredible things for their people. But women were so underwhelming. So it's like, well, they may as well have yeah. done magic. Yeah. Because it was magic because pe- women didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right. Well, you ready to toast oh. these fictional women? Let's toast them. <laughs> okay. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast to the people who say to themselves, like, this is it. Mm. Because I don't think that's a bad thing to say, to be like, I'm going to live for these 95 years and then I'm going to die. And in 100 years, nobody's going to know who I was. And that's the story for literally most of the people on earth. Nobody's going to know who you were ever, ever, ever. And that's what these stories are about. It's a combination of women that existed over time that have been forgotten. Mm. And I want to toast to them. Yeah. Cheers. What do you got? I mean, mine is similar. I'm going to toast to the princesses we don't know. Like, one of the things I watched was, like, we don't have Disney movies made about these women because they are controversial. (laughs) And I think that last conversation about how like most fairy tales ended marriage is why these women aren't put at the forefront of folk tales told to young girls. Right. And I just want to toast them because we don't know them and we should because they offer an alternative life than just the romantic based storyline. True. So cheers. Cheers. 
I also don't want to like fuck Disney because they do try. Oh my gosh, yeah, and they've been trying especially hard recently. So like Merida and Moana, like those people didn't get married. They're not getting yeah. married. They don't have love interests. Yeah, they exactly. Are. They're trying to get better, which is really nice. They're turning away from it. Um, um thank you everybody. This has been a strange episode, listening. but a I great know. one. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed it, and we just wanted to cover. We wanted to cover a vast amount of women in a small amount of time because I think when we started looking at women of color, we realized the deficit that exists. Well, and these are the women behind the women we're covering. You know what I'm saying? Like if we cover someone from like, you know, the Polynesian islands or Oceania or whatever, like, you know, like these are the stories that they're told when they're children. So like we should be covering them. Like, These are kind of the stories behind the women that are the women that are the women that make the stories that we tell on this podcast. So we hope you liked it. We hope you learned something new about (laughs) Iran or Samoa or Egypt or whatever. Um, Because, yeah, I think there's a lot of kinship that can be found in folklore. It can. And if you haven't yet, look up the website Rejected Princesses. It's so great. Or buy the physical book. They they do such a great job of making all these stories very sarcastic. Oh, yeah. Um, and whimsical, which is a lot of fun. And you can read the stories. They're like four paragraphs long. It's not hard. Oh, yeah. So, so fun. And like Rejected Princesses is great. I got the Thakane story also mostly from Myths and Legend podcast. Oh, yeah. That guy's so good. He does so much research and he's great. So... There's a also lot of really wonderful podcasts about um, myths and legends and folklore that yeah. aren't like synonymous with European American mm-hmm. fairy tales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. <laughs> yep. Find well, us anywhere. Like us everywhere. Please do. And if you wouldn't uh, maybe have the time, uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We would love that. Or find <laughs> us on Patreon and you get all the extras. Exactly. Little details. <laughs> so we love you and we want you to never forget that well-behaved women never don't get married. Yeah. <laughs> and they rarely make history. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs>